2 Samuel chapter 6. And we're going to just catch you up. Remember we started this series with the verse from John 4 when, um, when Jesus said to the woman at the well, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And we talked about how it says in that verse, I'm paraphrasing for the sake of time, that in that verse it says, and God is looking for these kind of people. God's looking for people. And there's a, there's a specific something that he is looking for in people. And what it is, is that, that he is looking for people to become aware of him and to wake up to the reality of who we are created to be, which is worshipers. Worshippers, we talked about worship isn't just something we do. It, worshipers are actually who we are. Who we are. So that's good news, right? Because who you are can't be changed. So when the enemy tries to come in your ear and say, hey, your worship doesn't count. Your worship's not authentic. Hey, you got grumpy at the post office person or the DMV. You know, or maybe they got grumpy at you, likely, if it was DMV. And then you, you, got, you got upset. Come on, that's fun. That's all right. It's an opportunity to love. And, and, um, and, and, uh, and you know what I'm saying? But the, the accuser is in your ear. But you know what your answer is? Is that actually I can't fake worship because I am a worshiper. I can't. I, I'm not trying to worship. I can't hold it in. I can't be anything different. You know? And, uh, and I would hear the enemy when I'd be out at any given time work whether I was out on a run or working or driving the car, as I'm just worshiping the Lord, as Brother Lawrence did, practicing the presence of God, I would hear this little voice sometimes, this, this voice of condemnation that would say, this doesn't count. Why? Because we all know that real prayer only counts when you're like on your knees by the side of your bed, like with your hands like this, you know, or whatever it is, right? Whatever it may be, you know, and... And I just realized one day that that is the best joke. I just, he just makes me laugh. I, I love the jokes. Because, because, hey, this doesn't count. And I would just laugh and go, oh, 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 oh it counts. Or you wouldn't even be bothering me right now. Oh, you can't. You, oh, man, you must be so miserable. Well, why don't you just watch some more as I live out who I actually am. I'm a worshiper. And, um, and the fragrance of my life is sweet to God and yours too. And, um, and so David was a worshiper. And, and this is David. This was the key to David's success in his life is that he was a man after God's own heart. When you read the life of David, here's what you know. That the key to David's success is not that he crossed all his T's, dotted all his I's, and was the, uh, you know, the perfect they didn't call them Christians back then. But, you know, the perfect Hebrew, the perfect Jew, the perfect, you know, he, he made lots, not just mistakes. He did a few horrible and atrocious premeditated acts. Things you end up in jail for today. It doesn't mean those things are okay in any way. But somewhere inside. God looked at David's heart and he said, that's still my boy. And, and you did a stupid thing there, David. But, but, 
But when I look into your heart, I see that you are a man after my own heart. It doesn't mean that what you did, what he did was okay, because he actually had consequences, pretty tough consequences for things that he he did. Um, He walked through some... How many know that sin causes unnecessary hardship? That's the truth. And actually, it's one of the reasons God hates it so much, is because the, the problems... The way it distorts your life and my life as it gets a hold of us. And, and what it does to his children, the way it rips people off. Okay? But God looked at the heart of David and he said, that's a man after my own heart. Why? Because God knows the heart. God, and he's the only one that does. Like, God knows the motivations of every heart. He knows your every thought. And he knows why you're doing it, even if you don't. Right. And that's the truth. Right. But here's the thing. Lots of times the religious church, we use that to kind of keep people under the thumb and go, well, God knows your true motives, you know, with kind of a condemning outlook. But when you see the way God applies it to a life, it is so ridiculously gracious. It's a scandal. You're like, are you kidding me? And, you know, it's like. It's like David's doing all this stuff. Somebody's like, well, God knows your heart, David. And God says, I do know his heart. And when I look into his heart, you know what I see? That's my boy. That's my boy. And he wants me. Even though, I don't, even though he did some dumb stuff inside, he wants me. And he is a worshiper. And so because he kept coming to God and he kept looking to God, God would restore him. And God continued to give him success in his life. And David was a man after God's own heart. So, so, so you see this, this here as we're about to read in, in Samuel, 2 Samuel 6. The story is, is that David, we're going to just not read this part. I'm going to catch you up. Read the chapter, the whole chapter for yourself if you haven't read it in a while. How many, like, how many know the Bible is good to read? And it, it's, it's good for you. And the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you and reveal the nature of God to you as you read. But David was like, here's what I want. I need to have the ark of God back here by me in this city. Why? Because the ark of God was the presence of God. And, and this is what David desired more than anything in his life was to have the presence of God near him, to know God and to worship God. And it's what he'd been doing ever since he was a shepherd boy on the backside of of the field there with his heart and his sheep. Amen. Lots to be said about that season of his life. And so David had sent for the ark and he had a plan for it. He had man's plan. He built a nice, a new cart, a new one. You know, I'm building you a cart, God. I'm building you a really nice wagon. It's brand new. It's great. You're going to love my wagon that I made for your presence, God. And, and I'm going to go get the ark. We're going to put it on there. We're going to get a couple of oxen, pull it into town. And he's like, this is awesome. Except there was a way that the presence was supposed to be carried. And so the guy driving the cart, you know, the go over a bump and they think they're going to lose God along the way. So he reaches out to, to help God not fall off the cart. And, 
and uh, he dies. And it was a costly lesson that um, taking the presence of God lightly, the very glory of God lightly, was actually dangerous. Even though God is good, he was powerful and to be revered. And that there is a way to enter, and there is a way to carry, and there is a way to host the presence of God, and it is God's way. <laughs> Very simply put, it's God's way. And, um, and so here they come, uh, right after that happened, and I'm paraphrasing now up through chapter, uh, through verse 12, and, and so they come along, and uh, this, this happens. The, the, the man dies, David gets very afraid, and he realizes, and he's, he's like, oh my gosh, how can I bring the ark of God back to the city? How can I? So he goes, I got an idea. Hey, uh, Obed-Edom, I got a blessing for you. It's the ark of God. We're going to store it at your house for a while. Now, I, 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 I really do wonder a little bit if David was like, hey, you know what? I bet you'd like to have the honor of hosting God's presence here at your house. And meanwhile, David's like, yeah, I hope you all live. I'm going to just watch from over here and see what happens, you know. And a few months go by and David gets report and he realizes that the reports come in and they go, hey, David, ever since the ark got to Obed-Edom's house, he's been blessed. Everything, his whole life is overflowing with blessing. And David's like, I knew we needed to get that ark. We got to go over there and get that ark. So this time he does a little of his research and he he brings the ark and they're bringing the ark in the proper way. And David is so excited. And and so this time he went with a little bit of reverence. He had a lot more reverence for God. Here's what they did. They went out. They picked up the ark here in verse 13. They picked up the ark. They started to carry it. Here's what they did. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. We're going to have a sacrifice. They walked six steps. And they took this time to sacrifice, make an offering to the Lord, to worship God. All this mess, all this. And because David realized, oh, there is a reverence in the presence of God. And so... Uh, verse 13, when those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf. David was, uh, <laughs> I didn't think about this before, but I wonder if it was a little bit like, hey, instead of pulling the cart, we're going to sacrifice an ox. That's powerful. And so uh, David was dancing with all his might before the Lord. He's dancing with all his might before the Lord. He's worshiping. And he's wearing a linen ephod, a priestly garment. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of a ram's horn. Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter Michal looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. She looked down on him. She was offended. She thought, that is ridiculous. You ought to be embarrassed. You're the king. You're dancing around in your linen robe. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent of David. 
Inside the tent, David set up for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. When David had finished offering the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he blessed the people in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed loaves of bread, date cake, raisin cake to each one in the entire Israelite community, both men and women. With all the people, um, then all the people left, each to his own home. When David returned home to bless his household, Saul's daughter Michal came out to meet him. And she says to him, here's the greeting. So imagine this. Have you ever been, verse 20, have you ever been on a high point? Like something has happened for you. Like maybe you were in a high school basketball game and you're on the team and you were like the top scorer, you know, in that game. And you'd never scored so many points. And you were the one, you helped lead the team to victory and you won, you know, maybe it was the championship. And you come home and you're like, oh, it was amazing. And you're just, you're just exulting and you're celebrating and you're just so full and gushing as you should be. It's okay to celebrate. Celebration is part of the nature of God. God celebrates. And, um, and then somebody goes, You know, and you're like, it was awesome, you know, and then somebody would meet you at the door and be like, your shoes were untied the whole time. Looked ridiculous. You know what I mean? Have you ever been celebrating? You're like, this is amazing. When you're celebrating, you want people to celebrate with you, you know, and it's biblical, you know, like we celebrate. We're not just celebrating. We weep with those who weep. We we and we want to get in the boat with one another. And and so imagine this, though. This isn't a basketball game. You know, this isn't that you won the I don't know, the the raffle. I don't know. You know, the, this is different. This is so much more to be celebrated. You would think everybody in Israel would be celebrating because what defined Israelites was God himself. They literally had no identity except that God had chosen them. Nobody would know Israelites or Jewish people unless God had chosen them, but he did. And today, everybody knows Israel. Isn't it amazing? This little, to this day, it's a focal point of the world because God chose a people. And so what I'm saying to you is, They have no claim to identity. They weren't even a people. They weren't even really a nation. They were a guy. They were a guy named Abraham and and, and, and a family. And, And then God made a whole nation and then chose them for himself. So what I'm saying to you is, Michal... Her entire identity, the the whole city's identity is the ark. This is it doesn't get better than this for Israelites. It's the ark of God. This is everything. This is God himself, the one who chose us, the one who parted the sea and parted the river and brought us into the promised land and and worked wonders and defeated armies that we should never have been able to be, who dropped walls to the ground so we could just go into a city and take it without effort. And, and, and on and on what God had done. This is him. This is what it meant. Everybody. Nobody wondered what this box was with these angels on top in a mercy seat. Nobody wondered what this was. 
this was the ark of God. And it was coming back to the city. And it was basically an Old Testament revival. It was when the presence of God had been missing. And now the presence of God is returning. You know, and so the presence of God is literally coming down the street and David is worshiping. There's not a better day for David or Israel or you or I if we were there. And Michal meets him at the door. He's, you know, and she's like, and he's like, that was amazing. And she's like, you looked ridiculous. You know, you think, I just wonder if it had any effect on David at all, you know, because, you know, when I was a kid, I never thought that, like, you could affect teachers. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you'd act up in class and, like, one day I grew up and I realized, like, man, you can hurt teachers' feelings. We ought to be nice to them, you know. You think a kid shouldn't be able to hurt your feelings. You know, I think that's why I wonder, like, if Michal, you know, you would think, like, what, what effect would she have on David? But I bet it wasn't any fun. But... He, he, he kept his place of, of, of celebration. But here's what I want to point out today. I, don't, I want to point out today, I want to talk about the difference between participation and evaluation. Participation and evaluation, because it's hard to do both at the same time. You are, we are either, whatever it is in life, we are either a observer or a participant but it's really pretty impossible because once you're participating you're no longer an an observer and in order to be an observer you have to disconnect from participation so that you can evaluate you know when you go to a basketball game you're either on the team you're either on the court or you're watching And, and and for some things in life it's good to be an observer right because you're like, you know, it's like, well, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be a participant. I'm going to participate. You're going to run down in there and try to get into the game. You know, that would be inappropriate. You'd get ushered out. But, but in the kingdom of God, a little spoiler alert here for us. In the kingdom of God, no one is called to be an evaluator or an observer. Not one of us. We're all in the game. We're all in the game. That's exciting, right? Because I don't know about you. I'm going to alienate myself a little, possibly. But I can watch a football game and enjoy it, you know. You know, Buck invited me over one day. We watched a football game together. I'm not a diehard sports fan. Like, I can't. I tried really hard. I tried really hard when I was younger. I did. I, I dedicated myself to be a Giants fan. You know, baseball. My dad was into it. And I'm like, yep. I learned the players. I never had done any of that before. I got all into it. They won the World Series. And if I was ever going to become a sports fan, it would have happened that year. I'm just telling you. Because it was the best year to be a sports fan. My team was winning. And I, was, I watched every game. I watched the whole thing. And then afterward, I was like, I still don't care. And, um, so, and, uh, but, but, but I can still watch a game and enjoy it. You understand? I just, I just anyway, whatever. And the point is, but, but there are things that I do love. Like, I, I, I like to place, I like to, you know what I mean? Like, I like to go do. I like to go snowboarding. I like to go for a run. I like to ride a bike. I like to, I even like to play sports with people, you know, but, but, um, I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't know. And I get it. I get the, I get the camaraderie. I get the connection, the whole thing. And, um, 
But there's a difference between being an observer and a participant. Amen. We're called. See. Yeah. There's two responses. God bless you. So what we see here with David and Michal, we see this contrast, participation versus evaluation. And just look at the picture. Just look, really get a picture in your mind about what was happening here. Michal, you know, I'm thinking if the ark of God is coming down your street, that it might not be too much of an inconvenience to just go down the stairs and step out your front door. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, hey, God is actually going by in the street. Like, I'm just going to peer down from my window. I don't need to be down there. I can see it from here. This was the heart of me all. Well, I'll just, I'm going to look down from the window and see what I think about this. Think of what I think about what God's doing. And David, the king, the person in all of Israel who actually has the most right, actually the most right to be dignified. I mean, he could have been riding along with people carrying him down the road, too, although he wouldn't dare. But 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 he could have been. He could have had a beautiful horse, a chariot. Here I am. Yes, I'm bringing the ark back to Israel. He could have done that. Nobody would have thought ill of him. He's the king. He gets to have splendor. He gets to be he gets to be respected, but he wouldn't dare because he was a man after God's heart. And he's like, I wouldn't be a king if it weren't for the true king. And when the true king is here, I'm just a worshipper. I'm I'm the king. I get it. I'm the king. But you know what? What I really am is I'm with him. I'm a worshiper. I'm, I'm going to worship God. And so he's dancing in the streets. Some, some translations really talk more about how it's like his robes were flailing about. It even got indecent at some level. I don't know what indecent was in those days. But whatever it was, it was indecent enough to be inappropriate for a king. And maybe for anybody else. So David is in the street. David's like, I want to be where God is. David is making himself uncomfortable. Have you ever noticed? It's really hard to worship with all your heart and just be comfortable at the same time. Because worship involves sacrifice. And so in contrast to this, David's in the street. He's dancing. And I'm, I bet you he was tired because... That was a bit of a journey. He'd been dancing in the sun. I mean, I'm a, it's sunny in my mind anyway. I don't know what the weather was like that day. But, it, but it, you know, dancing outside for a long time. And she was in her house, in her comfort. What's the commotion? I think there's even something to the fact that she's looking out a window down. I'm looking down upon from my place of comfort. I'm looking down upon. You know, what, you know what the other thing I noticed about a window? A window gives you a view but no access. 
You know, if she was hungry, if she if she was connected, if her heart was towards God, how many know instead of a window, she'd have found a door? She'd have found a door. Who's the door? It has to be said. Jesus is the door that leads to life. But but how many know that if, if she had a passion, if she was like, I don't even want what I want. I want what God wants. I, I see him coming down like she would she would check out of the window and she would go find a door. But a window gives me a place to peer from my own place of comfort and evaluate a situation. So we have evaluation versus participation. We're all participants. That's who we are. All of us. It's impossible to bring true worship while holding... That's the other thing. You know, Michal, she was bringing, there was celebration. And you know what she was bringing to the, to the party? Judgments, criticism. It didn't fit. It didn't fit. It, she was missing out. So participation, another way to say it is worship versus observation. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven does not come by observation. So if I want to know what I think about something, I can totally just make an assessment. Right? But here's the thing. We talked about the love of God, right? In worship, the affection of God, right? And we talked about how nothing can separate us from that love. The kingdom is the same way. Okay, in other words, this is what I mean. You can be separated from the kingdom of God, but, but you cannot do anything about the fact that it exists. This is it. The love of God is a constant existence toward you. He loves you. But it doesn't secure your eternal salvation. God's love for you doesn't, doesn't secure your future. It doesn't... It, it, as a matter of fact, you can live your whole life, and many people are, and all of us have at some point, your whole life not at all aware that God is madly in love and crazy about you. That he is just bursting for you and longing for you and you can live completely unaware. What happens when I'm unaware of God's love? What happens when I am unaware of the kingdom? I don't experience it. In every revival in history that you read about, when you read about the Welsh Revival, where all the, mine, the coal miners were saved. When you read the stories, when you read about the Rochester Revival, that one probably everybody knew about. But there are many radicals. If you read about the Azusa Street Revival, if you read about the healing movements even, the healing t- of the 50s, and, and, and on and on and on. That, that Here's what you don't... When you read the story, you would think... Anybody, there wouldn't be one person in that region that wouldn't be fully locked on to what was happening. But it's crazy. It's not the case. The truth is, there would be hundreds or thousands of people swept up into what the Lord was doing. There would be transformed lives everywhere. And at places in the city, there would be literally people who were like, Unaware. 
Or, like Michal, I, I hear the commotion. I heard some crazy stories. I can see it. But totally disconnected from what he's doing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it really, it just, it, what it causes me to do is take my heart to the Lord. Evaluating someone else, you know, one thing that'll keep us, that'll, that'll lock us up is evaluating someone else's worship. You ever do that? You ever see someone just extravagantly worship and you're like, oh, kind of like Michal, you know, like that's a little embarrassing, makes me a little uncomfortable, you know? And, um, yeah, I won't ask for a show of hands, but, um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, we've all been made comfortable by somebody else at some point in life. And, and, um, you know what I think of that as like, it's like, you know, when you're a kid and you, well, we did, we'd sit around our table and pray, you know, and then, you know what? One kid always going to say to the other when there's kids around, you had your eyes open when we were praying. How'd you see that? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, that's the thing about radical worship. It's like, it's like, oh, you look so ridiculous. Well, how'd you see that? Because you know what I noticed? When I'm just caught up in worship, I don't really notice how other people are worshiping. And so I can be thinking about what someone else is doing, or I can just be living out my identity as a worshiper. So freedom comes when we are focused on Him and what He is doing. Rather than my, my own personal preferences. Those, man, those things are dangerous. We all have them. We all have preferences. I'm, like, go to, go to the coffee shop with me, okay? Like, my, my, fr- my friend Ben Serple used to tell me when we go out to lunch. He goes, dude, you're so high maintenance. Because the way I order, you know? Because, like... I'm like, well, man, we're eating out and I'm paying for it. So I want it to be how I, I want to enjoy it. And I know what I like. So I order particularly, you know. And, um, and uh, so we all have preferences. We all do. But, you know, when it comes to worship, preferences go out the window. You know, true worship really sacrifices preference to adore the king. We were just at a gathering not too long ago. And, man, if I was picking the songs, I'd have picked different ones. If I was picking, you know, that's true. And, I, and I, I wasn't struggling. I'm just telling you. Like, that's the truth, though. Like, oh, man, you know, where's Dave? But, uh, no, that would, have been, that would have been comparison. But I was like, I'm, that was a joke. But, I, but, I'm, but, you know, here's the thing. I just looked. I didn't know some of the songs, and some of them were old, and I love old songs. And But I start reading the words, and I'm like, we're exalting Jesus. I can get down with these. I don't care. It doesn't, care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's my style. It doesn't matter if it's my favorite song. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if I'm worshiping God, my favorite song doesn't matter. I want to sing his favorite song. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And his favorite song is the one that comes out of your heart. Your heart, no matter what it is, you know, people go like that old song, that's religious, you know, or or that thing, that's religious. I'm like, I got news for you. Songs are never religious. 
Yeah. People are. We, we can be religious. Songs aren't religious. The Bible's not religious. Church isn't religious. Pews aren't even religious. Like, religiosity, when we talk about dead religion, does not come from things. It lives in the heart. And it's a heart that attempts to please God from its own way. It's a heart that seeks to, to serve God without surrendering. And then we end up trying to earn rather than receive. Okay. We're going to land this plane. But I'm just so stirred up about worship, you know. And, and, and would you stand? And, and uh, prayer team, if you begin to come to the front, I uh, appreciate it. And, uh, what am I saying? You know, I just think, man, it's just a great reminder for us all. And if I'm preaching to myself, I'm preaching to myself. But, 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 you know, when I look at these two responses in life, I always want to be a David. I want to stay a David all my days. You know? I never want to let familiarity or I know this or I've read that before. I've heard this message before. I've heard that song. Have you heard this song? Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, but you can hear that song a million times. And it can still and you can be undone in your car all by yourself because it ain't about the song. It's about the one who it is sung to. Ah, and he never gets old. 